0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right?
1: Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well.
0: Did you really? And how's that working out for you?
1: I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD.
0: There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love.
1: Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before. And I was like, oh, because I was typing it out with her processing through it. And usually I get angry when I type stuff out, but I was like, oh, I was able to process it and work through it in a new way.
0: And you know what? In a season of giving, what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy?
1: In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with better help. Visit betterhelp.com/survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's slash survivor
0: Trigger warning. This podcast discusses themes centered around emotional, physical, and sexual violence. While the stories of the survivors are meant to be inspiring and informative, listener discretion is advised. If you're struggling with any of the aforementioned issues, Links to resources can be found in the show notes of today's episode. Um, they sent me this amazing
2: letter inviting me to symposium. Now, I'd made What the Bleep at this point. So, you know, and people were, you know, I was sort of a, a, a big deal for a while. And so at this point, it was sort of the, the height of, of What the Bleep. And they said, you know, we know how to do the stuff that you talk about in the movie. And I was like, yeah, everybody says that, you know, you guys are full of shit. But they write me this compelling letter. The letter was so well written. Like it appealed to everything i cared about and by the way later i would find out from from susan dones who defect who defected before me later I would find out they studied me very carefully they listened to like radio broadcasts, you know tv stuff stuff i'd written they studied everything about me to figure out what i wanted so later i realized the letter was crafted to like get me to like go. oh this is exciting
0: because it matched every single thing i cared about
1: hi survivors i'm tara newell
0: and i'm collier landry and this is the Survivor Squad podcast.
1: Yay! Another episode.
0: Another episode, um, and you know we're we're having quite a growth spurt, aren't we, Tara?
1: Oh yes, I'm so thankful that you guys came over from Obsessed and then also Crawl Space. Those are two major podcasts, and we're so grateful that you guys continue to listen to us.
0: Yeah, <laughs> at least or, or or and tolerate me. Listen to you, tolerate me. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. And also I want to say thank you because uh, on my YouTube channel, Tara, is about ready to cross over 30,000 subscribers, which is really big. And if you guys haven't subscribed yet, youtube.com forward slash your Landry. Come join, be the ones to, to push me over that, that next milestone.
1: Yes, you just might be that one person. You know, you just like might come in the right time and then bang, 30K. So be that person.
0: <laughs> be be the person to impact change. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Uh but speaking of impacting change, we have a fantastic guest, as we always have fantastic guests. But I kind of I was really stoked to have our our guest today, Mark Vicente, on the program because I got to nerd out with a fellow filmmaker. <laughs>
1: yeah before i even got there you guys were talking about the lighting the camera lenses i don't really know because that's not my role the camera world is not my world at all
0: <laughs> yeah and we're both dps and directors and so it was it was you you caught us mid conversation of just complete geekiness and and you know he directed a film that i you know discovered god almost 20 years ago when i was living in hollywood which is called what the bleep do we know and it was like a big sort of hooey-dooey thing. And I worked with some of the same people who worked on that film with him, like Betsy Chassis. I did a television series with her and a few other people. And so it was like this really, we have all these people in common and it was like nice to finally, you know, meet one another. It was, it was very cool.
1: Yes, I love that. It was like, everything was connecting. And even just, I felt like when we connected with Mark, who's our guest coming up it was like oh wow he already felt like he was a part of the survivor squad and he felt like he could relate to us on other aspects
0: yeah and you know his his story is really intense and um for those of you that don't know so mark directed what the bleep do we know where was one of the co-directors producers of that but his latest project was an HBO series actually two seasons that he was involved in which was called The Vow which is about the Nexium cult and the, its cult leader Keith Ranieri and the coercive control and the manipulation and like the branding of women and Tara I know I know that a lot of this this type of stuff I had seen it because I was very interested in it because I had been approached about Nexium like yeah. uh, like it was like a self-help thing and this is like my early days in hollywood like in the mid-2000s and um you know i had people talking about it and i was like this and i said to, to my partner at so time, i was like oh, this just sounds like way too weird we're like oh yeah we're not into this but um you know i know that y- you know you had a little bit of trouble watching the series and i understand why
1: oh yeah just the manipulation the coercive control of it all these women being manipulated to uh, give sex to Keith. And it was just, you know, I understand if you're promiscuous, if you're, but it was like, these women had to just give themselves to him.
0: Yeah. And And they were branded too, which is just horrific. And, you know, and it was under the guise, and and the the thing that was most staggering about me, and I know I say this a lot on our program, but I I just am, Stunned at the fact that other women bring these women in, and it's like, oh no, it's okay, and oh, he, you've got to, and then they're like, they're like the ringleaders for the ringleader. It's 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 insane to me. And one of those people was Allison Mack, who was just recently released from prison. She was an actress on Smallville, and uh, you know, and obviously this has completely destroyed her life. And she obviously gave testimony against him. And now Keith Raniere, I believe, is in prison for 130 years or something, rightfully so or he's a wait I don't know what the I think he was convicted finally in 2022.
1: Yeah yes but you guys have to check out The Vow to get the full story. Today we're going to get into Mark Vicente's story and then we're also going to banter about our stories a little bit because it's so great when we meet another survivor.
0: Yeah it really is cool there's a lot of similar unfortunately there's a lot of similarities but what do I always say Tara?
1: that we're all a part of a club that no one wants to be a part of but we're all a part of the survivor squad
0: (laughs) we're all a part of the survivor squad well on that note let's get into part one of our two-part conversation with mark vicente
1: yes and stay tuned till the end for a special announcement
0: special announcement So, Mark, why don't you tell us your story?
2: You know, basically, you know, born in South Africa in, in 1965. I, um, you know, grew up in a, you know, apartheid South Africa. I was lucky that I traveled a lot as a kid, so I got to see different ways of living. And one of the things as a kid that bothered me, I, you know, I had, a really, I had a great family, but some of my family was was pretty narrow-minded, and apartheid was in full swing when I was a kid. So I didn't see things the same way that a lot of my family members did and a lot of the people around me. Uh, you know, the the, you know, my family was an Afrikaner family, uh, which tended to be, I'm going to get so much shit for saying this, tended to be much more narrow-minded and, and far more racist. And my mother was sort of the black sheep of the family, so she got me to see the world differently. And I figured out at a certain point, pretty young, that something was desperately wrong with the country. So, I, you know, I saw things as super, super fucked up and and you know people were saying well it's you know black people are inferior it says so in the bible i was like where in the fucking bible does it say that like it just nothing made sense and um as i grew up i saw a few kind of very disturbing things you know um that you know i remember once seeing seeing uh this this kid that was that was killed and the way everybody was standing around because it was a young black girl and the way everybody was standing around like it was just a i don't know a dog that just got run over I was like, what is wrong? Because I was just weeping, you know. And then jumping forward later, you know, I, for a while I was a news cameraman and I saw some really, really bad shit. And I saw a couple of things. I saw just the lack of, the lack of care because, because of apartheid, the lack of caring for other human beings. And also I saw, you know, immense corruption in the government. But anyway, I had this, this um, I guess this yearning as a kid, like the world, there has to be a better way. There has to be, a, this country can be better somehow. And my my story of 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 the sort of you know the the my so-called enlightenment of like, oh, this is how I do it was like when i was I think I was like nine or something, maybe a little older, I went to see this musical. my my mom took me to this musical in Johannesburg, and it was like drumming and dancing, and like it was really cool, it was like zulu musical and i and I took the music home on a little cassette and I played it again and again. And I was in the bush living with my grandparents. and the, by bush, I mean like you know, house you know, gardens, fences, and then just wild, like, you know, leopards just beyond the fence and shit like that. Wow! And I had this incredible feeling um, of connection to to something profoundly good. Um, And I became obsessed with like, how do I get everybody to feel this feeling? Because if they feel this feeling, they wouldn't hurt each other. They wouldn't kill each other. They would love each other. I mean, you know, a kid's point of view. So I'm obsessed with how to do it. And I think to myself, I need to make big speakers, like super, super big speakers, like Jack and the Beanstalk speakers, you know? And of course i become obsessed with the idea, but I don't know how to do any of that. And then, you know, a few years later, funnily enough, I was in Lisbon with my parents and Star Wars came out and I saw Star Wars and I was blown away. I was like, holy shit, this is how you do it, <laughs> movies. This is what you do, you know? So that became my 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 new obsession. And so, you know, at a certain point, Um, you know, as a teenager, I became obsessed with, I'm going to be a filmmaker. You know, at first it was like, I'm going to be a cinematographer, you know, because I I thought at first that they made all the decisions. I didn't realize that wasn't true. So that was my (laughs) first thing. And then, you know, I became obsessed with that and, you know, went to, in South Africa, you know, we didn't have like a, a a complete film. There there were two film schools. The one was super, super narrow-minded university, which I was not going to go to. And the other one was, uh, Witz University in Johannesburg that had a film component inside the drama department. So I was like, great, I'll go to drama school, you know? So I kind of did, you know, singing, dancing, leotards, the whole deal. I did everything, but my obsession was, was filmmaking. And I began, after I got out of university, I began working my way up the ranks in the film industry. And a lot of what I was doing at that point was I, I found an amazing group of people to work with that were making anti-apartheid films. Now it's a little more complicated. I, was supposed to be drafted so i signed up for military service when i was 15. and you know what happened is like the teacher came in with like sign this piece of paper we didn't know what we were signing not in front of the parents and then you realized, oh i've just signed up for military service and when the time came when i was i was 17 uh, when i left high school and so now i was supposed to go to the army or go to university And i was like i'm going to university and I kept on deferring my military service until I was finally finished with college, and I realized I had to go, I had to, go to war, because we had a war at, the, at that point. And I, I think it was like the, the morning that I was supposed to show up, I made the decision, I'm not going. You know, basically, fuck them. Fuck them in their war. I'm not going to go kill people I do not know that I have no beef with. So, you know, for the, for like the next seven years, myself and a, a, a few of us, you know, there was a, quite a few of us were basically deemed, you know, criminals, you know, and the military police came looking for me on, you know, various occasions. And so I developed this this strong sense of like justice that was not necessarily what the government was doing because I felt the government was, was not just. And so all these things formed this obsession with like, there has to be a better way to, to do the world, you know, to, to be a human being. You know, so anyway, eventually I get my way to, I get a a huge break. I shoot this movie in South Africa, you know, called Serafina. It's a musical with Whoopi Goldberg. It's an amazing film. I mean, it was creatively one of the most astonishing experiences for me. And I finally like get my break to go to Hollywood and I arrive in Hollywood. I'm like 26 years old and I'm now shooting this very big budget movie uh, for Disney, which I think at that point was, 20-something million, which I, you know, the largest thing I'd ever shot was like, you know, maybe two or three million. So now suddenly it was like 20-something million. I think it was 27 million. And I was terrified. And that was my sort of, you know. And and now that's a craft service budget. Yes, exactly. It's insane. It's insane. But here's the thing, like, while I'm also obsessed with making films, I'm also obsessed with making things better and making me better, you know? Somewhere along the line, and I don't know exactly what it was, but I, this I only figured out in the last, you know, how, you know how after the super traumatic experience, you start to think about a lot of stuff and st- you start to realize, oh, this is why that, this is why, 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 you know? And so I realized like, I'd always thought of myself as like not a good person. And I'm not sure exactly where it came from. There was abusive stuff in my childhood as well. And so there's an obsession with, the, I got to make the world better and I got to be a good person. And I have to figure out how to become that person. So I, you know, throw myself into, you know, first it's religion when I'm younger, then I abandon religion, then I then I throw myself into the new age like heavily. And I get very immersed in that. And you know, to sort of, you know, fast forward to like the I guess to the, the mid 2000s, you know, I'm 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 shooting movies, I'm starting to direct and I'm also I had this 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 personal growth thing, you know, I have to fix myself. And so in around 2004 is when I meet, I get a, I get a, a letter from one of the, the Nixian people, and it's actually the CEO of the company. Sorry, it's not the CEO, it's, it's one of the, uh, the high-ranking people. Um, they sent me this amazing letter inviting me to symposium. Now, I'd made What the Bleep at this point. So, you know, and people were, you know, I was sort of a, a, a big deal for a while. And so at this point, it was sort of the, the height of, of What the Bleep. And they said, you know, we know how to do the stuff that you talk about in the movie. And I was like, yeah, everybody says that, you know, you guys are full of shit, but they write me this compelling letter, inviting me to come to this sort of symposium with a bunch of scientists, the people I really admired. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I call, I call the number, which, you know, which is weird that I did that, because I was never doing it, but the, the letter was so well-written. Like it appealed to everything I cared about. And by the way, later I would find out uh, from from Susan Dones, who defected defected before me. Later, I'd find out they studied me very carefully. They listened to like radio broadcasts, you know, TV stuff, stuff I'd written. They studied everything about me to figure out what I wanted. So later, I realized the letter was crafted to like get me to like go. Oh, this is exciting because it matched every single thing I cared about. So I make you know I make the phone call, and I connect with it's at that point Nancy Salzman and Barbara Boucher. And, you know, they're excited that I call back and they meet me in, in, you know, Beverly Hills and we have this conversation and these these women are profoundly smart and I'm like blown away because they know what like I
0: care about and they and they they seem really like, they, maybe they've figured something out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right?
1: Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well.
0: Did you really? And how's that working out for you?
1: I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD.
0: There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love.
1: Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before and I was like oh because I was typing it out with her processing through it and usually I get angry when I type stuff out but I was like oh I was able to process it and work through it in a new way.
0: And you know what in a season of giving what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy.
1: In the season of giving give yourself what you need with better help. Visit BetterHelp.com Survivor today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Survivor.
2: And they say to me like, oh, you should meet our mentor, this guy Keith Raniere. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, maybe one day. Because at that point, I'm in the middle of, you know, writing a book and, you know, we're, we're doing the next movie. Anyway, fast forward a bit, I finally go and I do, I'm going to go do one of their courses. So I fly out to, to Albany, New York, and I'm only going to commit to like five days. It's a whole 16-day thing. I'm going to do five days because like I'm super busy. And also at that point, I think I'm think I think I'm a pretty big deal. So, you know, I'll just come and see what you guys are doing and see if it's worth anything. And so I, I start doing this course. And at first, it's just lame. You know, the first day is just lame. And I don't know who this Ranieri guy is, but I really respect these women that invited me. And around about the third day of this training, I have this massive breakthrough, like really, really big. And and I had so much anxiety in my life, you know, like so much anxiety. I didn't really, I didn't understand why. I mean, I was still had PTSD from, you know, being a news cameraman and the shit I went through as a kid, you know, I didn't know that. So I had this big breakthrough where I suddenly feel this anxiety just lift and I'm like, holy shit, so this stuff can do that. That's amazing. And then I become obsessed with, okay, well, if this can work that quickly and understand at that point, they were doing things where somebody would come with some anxiety or some phobia or some confusion or whatever. And in like under an hour with some special process they were doing, people were having these huge shifts and understandings and realizing, holy shit, my whole life, I thought this, that doesn't make any sense. You know, and you feel this kind of freedom. And I was like, man, this sh- I think this, sh- this shit might be the shit. This is maybe the the thing you know, yeah. And I think that's was my sort of entry point into 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 the the cult is that they seem to have figured out a way to overcome this 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 human behavior equation that was super fucked up. Like the we do shitty things to each other, we make bad choices. You know, I make bad choices. So they seem to figure out like this is how you fix it. So it was sort of like they they were getting into your programming and shifting it very quickly. And I'd done a lot of stuff before. So I'd seen a lot of stuff, done a lot of stuff, but this, this thing seemed to be really amazing. And so I was, I was kind of hooked on, the, on, on the, what they call the tech, which FYI Scientology also calls their thing the tech. And so I go away for a while. Oh, what happens actually is I, I decide that it's so good, I'm gonna stay the entire 16 days. So I put a bunch of work off and I stay the entire 16 days, I'm blown away. But at the same time, you know, I leave with a lot of like shitty feelings. So there are these breakthroughs, but I leave with a lot of shitty feelings and I, and I leave feeling like, God, I'm such a piece of shit. I have so much work to do in myself. And only later do I realize that, you know, it's sort of like they, 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 I'm going to use mixed, but they disembowel your soul bit by bit. And so while you're having these breakthroughs and these amazing good feelings, you're also seeing, you're being shown how limited you are, how much you need to grow, how far you are from the ideal human being that you say you want to be. And that, you know, taps right into all my childhood. I'm like, I, I got to fix myself. You know, because at that point, one of the things I remember, I was super political at that point, you know, and I was anti the war that was going on and stuff. And and then they would say things to be like, you know, so you want, people to be nonviolent. they go, yes, that's what I want. Okay, and you want people not to react out of anger. I said, yes, that's what I want. And they said, well, so how does it work then that you're so angry at the people that are being angry? And how is it you have all these violent thoughts about the people that you believe are being violent? Don't you think that's a problem? And I'm like, fuck, that is a problem. Shit, fuck, yeah. You know, cause like, if I'm gonna change the world, I have to not be those things. You know, it seems logical. And I'm like, yeah, I got, I got to fix myself, you know. I, I've got these anxieties, I've got these angers, I get rageful about a bunch of stuff, you know. And you know, I was having, you know, before this, I was having major panic attacks all the time, and 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 it seemed that this this was going to fix all that. So I disappear for a while. Then they start to give me a lot of pressure about like, where are you? And I say, oh, well, I'm doing my life, you know. Like now, you gave me some great tools. I'm doing my life. Yes, but you you know, you owe us this. You owe us There's a lot of weird shit going on. So I go back. And I do a bunch more courses, and I realize like that well they convinced me I should say that like the only meaningful way to move forward is to really clean up my act because if i'm gonna if I'm gonna to keep on making films that have impact in the world, then I, I need to make the films the right films that will actually do that, and to make the right films, I have to become the right kind of filmmaker. I have to work on myself, and that's the most important thing to do, and you know you could argue that, yeah, that's probably the case. You know, it, it, they kept on saying, you know, like first fix you, then go make the things. It wasn't like, just do both.
1: Well, they're bringing up like a lot of insecure attachments to make you yes. codependent to this religion.
2: Correct. Absolutely correct. But I didn't understand any of this, you know. I mean, they, they, they leveraged my ambition. Because my ambition was, yeah, I want to be a great filmmaker, but my ambition was also, I want to be a great human being. You know, so they leveraged all of that. And, and my desperation, my my terrible fear that I was a complete piece of shit. And then what they do, uh, you, as you just, I mean, they, they make you feel shittier as you're going along. So the CEO of the corporation, Nancy Salzman, you know, says, you know, you need to, this is earlier. She you know she said, you know, you should meet Keith one day. This is my first, I'm, I'm backing up. So my first intensive, I think on day 10, I get to meet Keith Granary. And it's so interesting because when I met him, I thought, yeah, it's kind of a schlub, and like, this is not the person I thought, you know, that I thought I was meeting. You know, I thought I'd be meeting, I don't know, fucking Xavier, Xavier from the X-Men. They called him something, right? Vanguard. 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 Yeah, that was it, Vanguard. Yeah, all these names, all these names. And when I met him, you know, I thought, oh, this is great. I have an opportunity to ask a super smart guy who, you know, has, you know, one of the highest IQs ever recorded and best three problem solvers in the world, yada, yada, yada. I have an opportunity to ask him a bunch of questions. And I asked him a lot of questions. And one of the questions I remember was about dark matter. I wanted to understand dark matter better. And he begins explaining things about dark matter and this mathematics he used to understand it. And I'm like, what mathematics is that? I've never heard of it. And he says, well, it's the mathematics I created. You know. And me being as naive as I was, I'm like, you created math- a new kind of mathematics. That's fucking incredible. So I had this five-hour long conversation with him. And it, it, it does blow me away. Like, okay, so he's this weird guy, but his mind, you know, I'm like, his mind is amazing. So anyway, a lot of what they're saying to me when I come back later is like, you should commit to learning what this is, and you should commit to spending time with him if you want to be the kind of person that's going to change the world. And I'm like, okay, fine. I will put everything on hold for one year. I'm going to give this one year to learn everything I can, because if I can figure out how to fundamentally change people's perception in in a film i've found the holy grail of film of filmmaking for me which is to affect change in the world so this the whole next year is me i'm going to learn how to do this and you know just to i'm going to fast forward a bit like bit by bit as they chip away at you you start to feel like there's just more shit that i have to deal with yeah you know this is more stuff that's wrong with me and what happens at first is like ranieri says to me on my birthday i'm super frustrated this is in 2005 i think maybe yeah, maybe six six i'm super frustrated because i came here to work with this guy to learn from him and he's he's just ignoring me and i'm pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and i eventually go like i fucking give up i don't know and on my birthday he calls me one morning and he says let's take a walk and i'm like oh this maybe this is it you know we take a walk on my birthday These fuckers love anniversaries and birthdays. And (laughs) he says, I have an idea for a film. And he starts pitching me this idea. And I realize, okay, well, I've pitched him all of my ideas that I want to work on. Okay, this is what he wants to do. Okay, fine, we'll do this. So I start writing the treatment for this project. And when I show it to him, he gets back to me a couple of days later and I meet him. And he basically says, this is really incredible work. Okay. And I'm like, oh, coming from this super smart guy that's that's really quite a compliment the last compliment i ever got because for the next basically like 12 years uh he's just everything i do is wrong and the, and and the problem with and I'm, I'm not unique this way but the problem with people like me is like we're gonna fucking stick it out and make this shit work oh sure you know that ambition to like, keep on going keep on going keep on going and eventually i get utterly lost but I don't really know I'm lost in, in some deep part of myself. I think to myself, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing? And there's this moment I'm sort of fast forwarding to the beginning of my wake up because basically everything is ru- controlled by him and, and, and everybody around him is controlling everybody. So everybody's abusing everybody constantly in this, in this super fucked up system where you start to feel like all your choices are wrong and all your decisions are bad because they're all unethical, and they're all anti-humanitarian,
0: and they're all amoral. You know, um, Carl, you had a question. First of all, least to your creative nature. I know that I'm the same way. When you just you're going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. I'm going to I'm going to sort this out. Yeah, and I'm going to do this in my artistic way, right? Because that's where I was yeah. in my process before I made my film, right? Yeah, but also yeah. something that's interesting. You're saying it's almost like the the machine itself is eating itself, right? Because there's, it's all such bullshit that it's, Mm. it's not going anywhere. So it's attacking, you know, one of the ways that I feel that organizations, whether you want to call them religions, cults, whatever, is it's a concept of the other, but when the other no longer becomes people outside the group, it then starts to to eat its, uh, eat its own young in a way where they're the concept of the other, look what that person's doing against Vanguard, which is exactly what happened, you know. No, exactly. I mean, much later, I understood that basically what what I was
2: inside was a was a narcissistic abusive relationship just on a larger scale. You know, I began to understand that much later, and what he was doing with everybody was like disemboweling them, basically, you know, just scraping out their soul and trying to mold everybody not in his image so much, but in a way that they could be ultimately controllable, you know, by saying things like you know, your pride stands in the way of you truly understanding yourself. You know, <laughs> your your opinionated, e- they wouldn't say ego, egotistic, but that's kind of what they were saying. Your your pride is getting in the way of true growth. And so you feel like, well, I have to strip my pride away. I have to strip away my opinions. I have to strip all those things away. And the thing that's so messed up about it is it looks like you're going in a good direction, but you're you're not. You're actually destroying. You're eating yourself alive. You like, like you say, Kalia, You're like part of the system that's just that's just eating you alive, right? Yeah. And then you're making choices that you think are good
0: choices that are doing the, the same thing to yourself, of course, because you have pure intentions yeah. as a person who wants yeah. to grow. I mean, look, you did a film that is essentially about ex- enhancing your mind, right. examining quantum physics, you know, right. uh, resurrecting yeah. Marley Matlin's career. Yes. I know, but in all seriousness, you have this. You 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 you're a seeker, you know. So so these people prey on that, and then they yeah. first they, they make you feel like that. And I feel like when you said you know he had never really talked to me, I come to him with all these ideas. He never responded until it was his idea, mm. and then you're like, okay, well I guess we'll go with this. Yeah. Of course, that's that's how they're controlling because he sees someone who is by far more gifted, going to, to just prey upon those insecurities. Like the, that's the, yeah. the, the, the the thing that they're so good at. They, they are able to break down in their mind your insecurities.
1: Yeah. Well, this is part of the hypercriticism stage of like trauma bonding, you know, part of the seven stages of it.
2: Yes, you're totally right. And the thing that I only realized later, I didn't realize I was walking on eggshells all the time. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because that's that's part of the trauma bunny you You're you not really aware of it. But you can see it
0: when you watch in The Vow. You can, with well, those vi- videos, those home videos of you, you're just sitting there and just kind of looking. There's a There was a shot, you were like on the floor, and I think it looked like you were going through some videotapes or something, and he's sitting at a desk. But just even that yeah. position of, like, he's, he's clearly shorter than you. I don't know how tall you are, yeah. but he looks, he doesn't not look like. I'm six, six foot three, and he's, he's shorter than me. Yeah, I'm six too. So it's like, you know, and uh, often I've noticed when in, in sort of power dynamics, and you see this in Hollywood, right? You, you, where people will try to, just even as a going back to like thousands of years ago when we're in tribalism and things like that, where the leader has to be taller than everyone else or has to be exactly they stand on a stage with, exactly. you know, it gives you the presence over them. And you can see him exactly. positioning himself that way. And It's just these little subtle things that you look back and you go, "Oh yeah." This it's is- funny because this is the thing you don't see it. Like I remember
2: when I was long, no, when I was in my twenties, I was sh- shooting a lot of docs, right? And I, a, a, as a, a DP, and I remember going to Zululand and going to like you know shoot like the Zulu king, right? And the whole thing was you walk in, never look at the Zulu king, and always be lower than the king. So I and I and I thought that was a fucked up system. People gave me shit for this as well, but I didn't see that in this system. Also, look, we were studying psychopathy. We were studying all those things. I mean, he had me specifically study like, you know, a lot of bad people, a lot of the bad things they were doing because, you know, he said to me, that would help with that would help you deepen your sense of conscience. These bad things exist in the world. He was literally talking about the shit he was doing to us. That's what's so messed up. And the thing is at this point, it's one thing to study psychopathy, and maybe I'd run into some bad people in my life. But it's another thing to to truly take in. I'm dealing with a really bad human being. I mean, you guys know you you know you had your wake up of horror, yeah. You know, which I I'm 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 profoundly yours. Honestly, feels so much worse than mine. Um, but but it is a shock, I think, to most people to realize like, oh shit, this these kinds of people exist. Like yeah. they're, they're so close in your, you know, in, in your guy's case, your family. Um, but I, I had really idolized him because what he'd figured out how to, how to do was to match all my values. So I thought he was, he, I thought he was who I could become. The fact that I later realized that yeah. oh, this is an evil motherfucker was a huge, huge shock to me, you know? Um. Anyway, that's, that's. That's, yeah, that, that shock is so interesting. So anyway, just to go back to to the beginning of my, um, please, I can go anywhere you want, but I was just thinking about the beginning of my wake-up was 2015, my wife, Bonnie, and I go to, um, she, was in, she was in a bunch of the Star Wars movies, so she, you know, she's a Star Wars yeah. personality. And so we go to the Force Awakens premiere, massive premiere, biggest one I think they've ever done. You know, we're, we're on the red carpet, the whole thing, and we, we go in and... One of the things we're always told in the cult is like, you know, we are the most humanitarian people you'll ever find. We understand tribute and we understand caring and we understand compassion. And I remember sitting down in the theater, it was the it was the, um, the Dolby Theater on, on Hollywood. And it was a huge, it was a massive, massive affair, you know, all the famous, everybody was there. And I, you know, I met, I hung out with Spielberg, I was hanging out with J.J. Abrams, I was hanging out with all these amazing people. And inside, I'm feeling such the, such a deep sense of insecurity because I didn't know this yet, but I, I felt so far from the world, from this place I, was, I felt like I was going for because I was in this little shitty place in upstate New York working on myself while these people were doing all the things that I dreamt about doing. And so I'm sitting in the theater before the film comes on and J.J. Um, Abrams gets up and he starts talking and you know Spielberg is up there and then George Lucas is up there and, and J.J. Abrams starts talking about George Lucas in such an incredible way. And I just have tears in my eyes because I'm like, oh my God, it's so beautiful. The the respect these, these, these giants have for each other. And I'm sitting there going like, wait, I don't <laughs> see this inside the organization. I don't see yeah. this kind of kindness in the organization. What the fuck am I doing? And I realize this... Theater, this environment, this dream, this is where I was supposed to be going. What the fuck am I doing? So that's December 2015. And I think that plants the seeds of things for me because I begin comparing and saying, they're saying that they're the most humanitarian kindest people, they're not. This example in this theater, this, this is beautiful. Yeah. And they keep on poo-pooing anything that's that's outside their walls. So
0: the concept of the other.
2: Yes, exactly. Everybody's otherized. There's all this otherizing, right? We go back and I and I and I decide I'm going to be like, you know, remember in uh what was the movie, Jerry Maguire when he writes that letter? He's going to write the letter to oh, yeah. like tell them what's wrong with everything. The cover looks like Catcher in the Rye. <sighs> so I'm going to do my I'm going to do my, my my Jerry Maguire letter. I start, I write these letters to everybody and I, you know, I there's all this shit's wrong. You know, we say we're humanitarian, we're not. And I'm like, and also I write in my letter like, and also, by the way, guys, I'm terrified to say this because I don't want to become the problem child of the organization. And it's funny because I'm not, it hasn't really hit me yet. I'm terrified, and I don't say this, I'm terrified because they're litigious as fuck. If you step out of line, they will sue you into the ground and they will send PIs after you and they will send lawyers after you. They will destroy your life. But I can't admit to myself that that's what they do, but I'm terrified of it. But I didn't realize it. It's sort of like, you know, how in the trauma bond, you have difficulty actually saying this bad thing will happen to me. If I, You can't even admit a bad thing could happen to you, but you can feel it. And so I'm trying to like change the organization, change the organization. And I'm saying to Keith Raniere, like there's these problems in the organization and he's like listening to me, but he's also, I re- realized later, triangulating everybody against each other, which, you know, which... I know, Tara, you've been through that kind of shit as well. And every question I bring up, he has an answer. And eventually I say to him one day, like, I think there's a psychopath in the organization. And he's like, huh, who do you think it is? And I'm like, I think it's Alison Mack. I think she's doing some really, really bad shit with some of the young the young girls and some of the women. He's like, oh. But then he does all this weird distracting shit on me. He has to ask me questions about the way I process things and I it completely distracts me. So I'm beginning to learn in 2016, something's not right. These women are so skinny and they're like, they're like fading away. Their life is fading from their eyes. And I say to him as well, like, okay, so we're supposed to be, this is the science of joy we're doing, right? That's what they called it, the science of joy. So shouldn't people begin having joy? Well, you know, it's the, it takes a while and it's this and it's that. It's about being in the desert, you know, and the in-between of the yada, yada, yada. I'm like, yeah, but still... They're fucking miserable. And the deeper they go into the shit and the closer they work with you, the worse it gets. And he can tell, like I'm starting to ask a lot of questions. And at one point, I remember he takes a walk with me and he says to me, "Um, you know, Mark, I just want you to know there's nothing you can do to break me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why the fuck is he saying this? There's nothing you can do to break me. No one's ever broken me. And I guess I filed it in my mind somewhere
1: He's testing you.
2: Yeah, because later on I was like, well, you know, later, later, I was like, motherfucker, I'm going to break you, you know. But at that point, I was like, why, why is why is he saying this? Because I was asking so many questions. Now, what was also going on is my wife, as you saw in the vow, my wife is starting to figure shit out. She can see shit I can't see yet because I'm so attached to him. Because I'm beginning to think the organization's full of shit, but I'm still very attached to him. You know, women are also smarter than us
0: a lot of times. <laughs> Just are.
1: Well, we're more intuitive because we were taught to like be the people back in the caves, like having these intuitions like, oh, this is going to happen and stuff. So we're made to be more intuitive than men and our bodies are made like best for each of us, you know? So we are both incredible beings.
2: Yes. No, I, I totally agree. And I think you're right. I mean, The way we as, like, you know, the men go out of the cave and we're stupid and we hunt and we're, like, single-minded and we kill, 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 bring it all back, maybe relax. And you're right. The women are just, like, they can just see connections to things and see what's going on and, like, shit, we just don't know, you know. So, that was very much the case. I was being a soldier. And my wife was, like, shit's not right. Now, she's trying to tell me, but, like, I'm super attached to the leader and terrified of him. So, I'm very defensive. And... What eventually happens is she makes the decision to leave the organization, which I'm okay with. It's, it's really, really difficult, but I'm okay with it because I love my wife and if that's what she wants, that's what she wants. Now, what had happened a little before that is she had, she was in LA, because she was so sick and tired of the organization. She was in LA and she decided one day just to sit still and just be with herself. She was so tired of being afraid. And she'd been so abused at that point you know, by people in the organization. And she sat very still one day and she had this realization. She was, she was hanging out in Marina Del Rey, just like sitting quiet, staring at the ocean. And she realized, oh, this entire system is based on coercion and fear and punishment. And this is the, 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 thing she comes to and it's undeniable for her. And she explains it to me and I'm like, yeah, but you know, everyone's still trying and I'm still, you know, defending everything. And she actually has a conversation with ranieri where she says to him this entire thing is based on you know punishment and coercion and all these things and his response is basically like you know that you're being the squeaky wheel and everything and i think that's the moment she goes all right fuck it fuck it i'm done so she leaves and you know we're together just by the way we never separated that's that it seems that way in the vow we never separated um but it's straining it is straining our relationship and she says to me one day, she says, what will it take for you to listen to what I'm saying? You know, and I said to her, cause I'm so compartmentalized in my mind and so disconnected emotionally, so dis- dissociated from myself that I say to her, I need proof, data, show me data. Cause that's, how, that we used to speak like that, data, give me data. And so she says to me, great, I'm gonna have you contact a number of different women. And so I contact these women and they start telling me stories about like Raniere hitting on them. They start telling me stories about the secret underground weird thing where you get invited into, but you have to give collateral. And I'm asking, well, what kind of collateral? Like compromising collateral, like blackmail material. Well, what kind, you know, like bank accounts and naked pictures. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And I'm kind of horrified, but I realize I trust all these women. I'm like, they're, they're not lying to me. And I go back to Ranieri, idiot, and I start pushing him on stuff. And you can hear those recordings in the vow. And it occurs to me, because every time I ask him shit, he's evading me and he's lying. And I go, lie number one. And I begin to realize, okay, if there's one lie, how many more are, things are lies? And eventually I realize, what if, what if it's all and that's a that's a huge huge question for me and what my wife is trying to get me to do is just entertain the possibility that he might not be who he says he is he might be a bad guy which is terrifying to me and it's terrifying to me because my own values at that point are conjoined with him sure like we're like almost the same i think and to question him is to question my own goodness and so that question would i finally that, that I finally allow myself to ask. She keeps on pushing me in the most loving way possible. She keeps on saying, please just look at this. Please look at this. Now I have this proof from these women that are saying batshit's going on and he's lying to me. And that moment of separating myself from him, I just, I start to feel completely suicidal. Like all the suicidal ideation starts. I start to think about like, how, what's the best way to kill myself? Like, should I go to the top of the building? Wow. No, I won't necessarily die. And these thoughts are going through my mind. And this other part of me, thank God, and and I think you guys know this other part, says to me that's more rational and calm, says, sure. you know, we've never thought about killing ourselves anymore. Do you think there's a problem? I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. And the voice says, there's a big, big problem. There's a big, big problem. Yeah, Just know there's a big problem. And so that thought starts in my head, like, there's a big problem. I'm not processing things properly. Yeah. And so I allow the possibility that I'm like, not not understanding shit and something's wrong. And that begins this cascade of me beginning to ask a lot of questions and uh, of, of my wife. And then also she's arranged this cult deprogrammer d- programmer to talk to me, which just blows my mind. But I also realized like, and the, and this cult deprogrammer says to me, she, she says, do, do you have, do you have dirt on them? And I'm like, I've got fucking everything. <laughs> You're going to need it because they're, they're coming after you. And that, sunk in and I'm like they are holy shit they are and and so at the be- like at the beginning of the vow you see me talking to camera and I'm recording stuff of myself and I'm saying I'm not trying to destroy the organization because at that point at the beginning I'm not but I'm trying to figure out how do I get you know how do I get these people out and, you know my wife and, and Sarah and Nippy were all working together at that point to try to figure out how to you know what to do and also by the way it's horrifying when I realize that Sarah's trapped as well you know cuz you see in the about all the recordings between me and sarah when eventually she admits you know what's going on and that that moment is so confusing because it rips it rips and destroys goodness my entire mission of making the world better and me better just rips everything to pieces and now in, i i don't know who the fuck i am at all but my rage this rage there there's fucking rage because They've hurt my wife, and they've hurt my friends, and specifically, they've hurt my female friends. Because there's something—I mean, I was raised by by women in my life a lot, so I feel fiercely protective, and the rage begins of what's been done to these women, and so it eventually transitions from, you know, and, and they start doing things like they send like, I'm getting uh, information that you know we're on this list, you know, that they're going to like try and sue us, and then that you know I, I find out I, I hear from somebody who's in the legal team of Claire Bronfman who's leaking information that Claire Bronfman wants to go to the FBI in uh, Los Angeles to, you know, white collar crimes to get Bonnie and I, you know, th- prosecuted, thrown in prison. And the rage builds. And then I find there's these websites, you know, expose you know, Mark Vicente exposed, Bonnie Peace exposed, Sarah Edmondson exposed, you know, and I'm like, all right, motherfuckers, it's on. And what happens is
0: I guess what happens is I realize like I'm a dead man walking. They have so much money. This concludes part one of our two-part episode with Mark Vicente. Can't wait for part two. Please subscribe to the Survivor Squad Patreon to receive exclusive early access to all episodes.
1: Yes, and in speaking of that, we're going to meet so many people at CrimeCon.
0: Yes, CrimeCon 2023 in Orlando, Florida. Orlando get ready. Yes. We are coming to you with all of our friends. Uh, well, a lot of yes. our friends are going to be there and it's going to be great to connect with anyone. I got to go to CrimeCon last year. I had a lot of fun and we're actually going to have like a proper booth and we're going to set up some events for people to come and do meet and greets outside of the show. We're going to we're going to partner with a local either pub or restaurant or venue, just do like meet and greets and it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. And so if you're in the Orlando area and you have a spot and you want to collab, please hit us up. Let us know. We are looking for a place. And then we also have a code for you guys, SQUAD, to get 10% off your badge.
0: Yes. So the badges for the top tiers are sold out, but there's the the general badges are still left. And check it out. You can get a discount of 10% off your badge for this year's CrimeCon in Orlando, Florida. The dates are September 22nd through the 24th. Check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. There's so many great... People that we've even had on this show that are going to be there, so I'm I'm really excited, and we hope to see all you th- all y'all there. That link will be in the show notes of today's episode, so check it out.
1: Yeah, and I hope to see you there. On that note, survivors, I'm Tara Newell,
0: and I'm Collier Landry,
1: and this is the Survivor Squad podcast.
0: We'll see you guys. Bye. The Survivor Squad podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And please consider supporting this program by visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash Survivor Squad. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey Tara, as you know, I've been going back to therapy and I absolutely love it. You've been going back to therapy too, right?
1: Oh yeah, I went back to therapy and I went back to BetterHelp as well.
0: Did you really? And how's that working out for you?
1: I love it because there's so many therapists to choose from on there. Whatever you need, you could just go through a list. I went through a list the other day, just seeing what they had to offer. There was one with PTSD.
0: There's so many great therapists. I mean, I believe there's over 30,000 different therapists that are on their app and you can communicate with them with video conferencing. You can do messages and communicate with your therapist. It's a very personalized experience, which I really love.
1: Oh, yes. I texted with a therapist the other day and I'm never tried that out before. And I was like, oh, because I was typing it out with her processing through it. And usually I get angry when I type stuff out, but I was like, oh, I was able to process it and work through it in a new way.
0: And you know what? In a season of giving, what better gift than to give yourself the gift of therapy?
1: In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with better help visit betterhelp.com/survivor today to get 10% off your first month that's betterhelp h e l p.com/survivor